Do you want your child to feel engaged, respected, and allowed to express themselves, showing off their natural gifts? Did you grow up in a home environment that fostered those things for you? What are you doing in your home to create this kind of space for your child? Let's explore some ways in which the setup of the rooms of your home can support natural development of gross and fine motor skills and promote concentration, independence, and self-expression. I'm Megan Iskander. And I'm Kate Mulliken. And this is Raising Reciprocity, where we believe raising children is a form of activism. Thank you for joining us today. Today we will be continuing our Prepared Home series. We've been making a series of episodes that are focused on preparing each room of your home in order to support your child's development, as well as just a nice, peaceful rhythm to your family's routine. We find that the more prepared the home is, the more calm our nervous system is, and the more empowered your child is because they are active participants. They are actively participating in, you know, whatever activities you have set up for them, but also in caring for the environment and caring for themselves and for caring for the other people that live in your household. So we really feel like this is a stepping stone to empowerment for them in society as they grow up and they have already had this sense instilled in them that they have the power to be active participants in their environments. They can, empowered by the choices that they make in their environment, by the activities that they choose, they can be aware of what the needs are for themselves as well as for the other people that they're sharing their space with. And they can learn to advocate for their needs of themselves, as well as understand that not everyone has the same needs. And sometimes we have to compromise a bit in order to help everyone get their needs met. So without further ado, let's get started with our room for today. Today, we are going to be focusing on the bedroom. So as with all of the rooms, we want to consider three questions. One, what does my child do here? So in the bedroom, obviously, there's going to be sleep involved and probably some play and probably some getting dressed. So we'll think of those kinds of things. And then the next step is, how can my child access these activities independently? The third question is, how can my child help care for or maintain the environment or the room that we're focused on? Thinking about the bedroom, we're going to start thinking about our youngest family members, and that will be infants and toddlers. Kate, what comes to mind for you when we're thinking of infants and toddlers in a bedroom? Mm -hmm. So likely with a newborn or an infant, the child is in the same bedroom as the parents, maybe a bassinet, a side crib, maybe you're co-sleeping in a family bed, possibly there's a floor mattress in the baby's room. Anyway, it is all so personal. And finding a way that supports all of the people in your home so that they are getting the rest that they need, that is the goal. So whatever that looks like for you in your home, the thing that I want you to think about is you can still apply Montessori ideas of setting up 
the room and the sleeping situation so that the children can act with some level of independence and collaborate in taking care of the bedroom space. You're not expecting a newborn to make the bed, but thinking in that mentality of like, how can we start to give children some level of independence is is the goal. So for toddlers, I'm thinking about, you know, one years of age, give or take a couple months, a floor mattress or toddler bed is really helpful. That could be in the parents' room. It could be in a separate bedroom. It allows the child to climb into bed independently. This also means they can climb out of bed independently. Some parents might ask, why would you ever allow for that, (laughs) right? So let me talk about some of the benefits that we're going for here. Benefits would include uh, a goal of a lifelong positive relationship with sleep. So maybe you've heard that phrase sleep hygiene before. Additionally, you want to, you know, part of the whole thinking towards the child having some degree of independence in their functions throughout the day is because at a deeper level, you're wanting to send them messages of trust. So for one, that they can trust the sleepy signals their body gives them and that they are not reliant on others or sleep aids to fall asleep. And that's what I mean about fostering that positive relationship with sleep. You know, as a newborn, we don't have to be taught how to sleep. Our bodies know when we need to rest and that's what happens. And that can continue if as the adults we set up our spaces and have our attitudes around the idea that that doesn't change for a child if we can keep fostering it in that direction. And granted, I realize there are things that come up, like a child gets sick or, um, you know, teething is happening and sleep gets interrupted and, you know, they might need greater assistance, right? So you build some scaffolding then and then you can remove it back, break it down later so that they have gained independence again. Another thought I had about a benefit is that they are learning that they are trusted by the adult caretakers, that their body's signals for sleep are in fact real and respected. It gives them control to move into their bed and rest as they need to and then wake up and get up when they're done resting. And this can be done without dramatic crying if they can just get up and move on for themselves if they're done resting. Personally, I believe this has the potential to set up a strong and positive foundation of respect for oneself and the care of our bodies. So when our bodies give the cues that we're hungry or thirsty or sleepy, there are benefits to knowing how to read your cues. And the next level, so that's all physical benefits. The next level I'm thinking about is that there's mental health benefits, so to speak, around the idea of that phrase, you can trust your gut feeling. So if I'm in a scenario as an older youth and I'm getting clues that like, wow, this doesn't feel quite right, that not only can they have they learned to trust those signals from their body, but that they also then feel empowered and able, capable to make changes I know this maybe seems like a stretch, but to, to my way of thinking, if we start planting those seeds when they're one, I feel like there's a lot of potential 
right? I know that I still am working on trying to undo some of those. Like I've taught myself for so long to ignore signals that my body was giving me, especially, you know, when you get older and you just start burning out and you're like, no, I can keep going. I can keep going. And not listening to those cues of slowing down that has long-term consequences. So the more, if we can instill that sense of confidence of listening to your body and trusting that it's telling you what you need to know and do at an early age, that is definitely going to offer a long-term benefit. Okay, so moving on, we've talked about sleep and that, of course, is the most important thing that we do in our bedrooms. And so we want to have it be a calm environment that will nurture good sleep. If the child is able to just have a floor bed or a toddler bed and they're able to just get up and wander, what should parents be thinking about as far as keeping them safe. You know, if they're getting into bed, they can also get out of bed. And what if they're getting up in the middle of the night and the parents are sleeping in another room? What things can they be thinking about to keep safety as a priority? Yeah, safety measures, as you're stating, are a must then. So basics would include uh, large furniture should be anchored to the walls in case you have a climber. Window treatments that have cords or ribbons or, you know, ties Make sure that those are tied up away from the child's grasp. Electrical sockets need to be covered. Electrical cords could be hidden or taped down. Um, And then, of course, there's the use of temporary gates, right? So for whatever your situation is at the home, does that mean it's at the bottom or top of a stairwell? Does it mean that it's at the child's bedroom door? You know, you could think towards that as a temporary way to define the the child-proof area, that is then larger than the crib. Additionally, I wanted to mention that you can work on teaching your child how to get your attention. And one of the ways to do that is to respond relatively quickly and certainly consistently when they do call to you and getting there before they get to a state where they're crying or yelling. Like how pleasant could it be for them to, you know, call to you with their babbles in a way that you could imagine the translation is like, mom, I'm awake and I can't wait for your hug, right? Versus them being in a crib, can't move around, getting bored, and then they're they're crying because they feel stuck. The other thing I wanted to think about is if your room for your children is being shared with siblings, depending on the age or ages of those kids, maybe a crib is the tool you need to prioritize safety. But then for others, like what if your kid is an awesome climber and then the crib is actually a liability? So I'm back to that idea that there's no one right way. You're going to have to really assess for yourself and then keep in mind the two main goals that have been mentioned around are the individuals in your home getting the quality rest that they need as often as possible? And then two, can you apply the Montessori principles of creating opportunities for your child to participate and be more independent about their sleep hygiene and and the foundations of that. Yeah, I think there is also opportunity for both. If you have a crib and want to also get a nap mat or a floor mat that you could have on the ground. So if they're tired, they could go and lay there 
and kind of experiment with that and then still have the crib available for when you put them to bed at night or whatever. I mean, it's such a personal choice and there are so many endless options of the way that you can handle sleep. And really, we should do a whole episode just on sleep. If you look at all the cultures around the world, there's just so many different ways to do it. And there's no wrong or right way, as Kate was saying. It's just really what works best for your family. What are the dynamics of your family? Who's in the space? And then what is your child's individual temperament? Maybe they really never want to be alone and they really want to co-sleep. And that's something that you decide to do. That's totally fine. Maybe they sleep better when they're all by themselves and they do great on a format. That's totally fine. You really have so many things to weigh when you're figuring out which approach you want to use with your child. And maybe it's different for each child. We're just giving you some ideas of how to set up independence and then you can play with it and see what works best for your family. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you wanted to say about sleep? Well, what you were just saying made me think of the ways in which my youngest child, for example, had a floor bed from the get-go. And sometimes around, say, five o'clock, which is known in toddler world as like the witching hour, right? Kids are starting to melt down at that point. Our family would be like, wow, it's really quiet. Where'd she go? And we would find that she had put herself to bed. And then on the flip side, she's also the one who most often wants to climb into bed with her father and I. And so it made me think of, Megan was saying, like, for each child, it could be different. And also for the same child, it could go through phases, So it had me thinking about how even for one individual child, their needs might change because of whatever's happening outside of the world that we may or may not even know what they've experienced. But because they are attached to you, they need a certain degree of regrounding with you. And oftentimes that comes during the quiet settling down time at bedtime. I mean, you might have friends who will say like, gosh, my teen doesn't talk to me all day, but then at bedtime... When I'm starting to fall asleep, that's when they want to talk to me. Anyway, just know that it'll fluctuate. There's no one right way. And that one way that's working at one time, it's likely going to need adaptation as your child goes through different developmental periods. The the last thing I was thinking about with bedroom for sleeping is uh, starting the child, even, yes, as a toddler, uh, in the participation of care of that bed and the dressings on the bed. So to whatever degree that might be, something really small, such as they're the one who always returns the pillow to this spot in the bed in the morning, or where do they set their PJs when they take them off or lay them out or whatever that might look like. Or it could be something bigger like stretching fitted mattress over the corners when you're remaking the entire bed. That can actually be super fun for toddlers. Or the daily pulling up or straightening of the blanket or comforter. Like, Just think about where your child's at and how can they participate. And don't expect them to necessarily be the preteen or teen who's like super excited to make their bed every day. That's not the goal. (laughs) The goal is that they're participating. They know that there's steps involved. And then, hey, you send your kid out into the world at college level or that stage of life where they're on their own and they're not the adult who doesn't know how to launder and make their own bed. (laughs) They'll, They'll understand that there's work involved. Yes, indeed. So moving on from sleep, another thing that children often do in their rooms is get dressed. One thing that you can do for your child is help them 
be able to choose their outfits in the morning. So that takes a little prep or in the evening if you're preparing the night before. But that takes a little prep from you. Ideally, we say if your child is three, then they should have about three options four, four options kind of match the age. I mean, maybe for a one-year-old, you could give them two options. <laughs> Just have one. That's not really an option. You want to give them choices that they can make that you're comfortable with whatever choice, you know? So if it's a sunny, hot day, then you're going to put out clothes that are appropriate for the weather for the day, and you're totally fine with whatever option they choose. So for my children in the closet, we just use a shower rod to make a lower hanging rod where the children's clothes could hang. So all of their clothes were up on the top rod, like the normal closet rod that we would keep their clothing on. And then we would just put down what was available and then they would choose from that. And we've also done just those hanging shelves that you can hang from a closet rod and just put stuff for them on the bottom too and then I would have the excess stuff up high so you can work around lots of different ways but you want to have things low enough obviously for them to be able to access each thing we also would do like little pictures on the drawer of like this is where your shirts go and this is where your pants go and this is where your you know socks and underwear are so that they can help put those things away when you're doing laundry By the age of three, both my children could pretty much pick out their clothes and get dressed in the morning. So I think that that's a pretty easy, low-hanging fruit thing you can do as a parent to just set it up so that they can access their clothes independently. You do have to do a little work in the beginning just to put down the things that you want them to access, but they'll figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah, it certainly helps avoid the battles of them wanting to wear a swimsuit and it's cold outside in January, um, which does happen. So um, yeah, and if you need to get, (laughs) you do need to get creative about how to use your space. There's so many things out there for closet storage, right? How to organize closet storage. So things that hang that maybe have pockets because it's being marketed for storage of accessories like scarves and jewelry or something like that, or for shoes. Those are kinds of things too that you could use where you're giving yourself options for storage that are up for the adult hands and then lower ones for the child's hands. Also the use of baskets. I mean, the the pictograms that Megan was describing for pants, shirts, why couldn't those also hang off of a basket? And then those baskets, as the child puts away laundry, maybe then the adult is putting them on a top shelf of the closet. It is not uncommon if I, again, I'm going into my toddler world. It's not uncommon for children to go through phases where they want to put on multiple outfits over the course of a day. And this does help cut down on your laundry. And yet at the same token, I'm going to advocate for the child to have opportunities to practice their dressing and undressing skills. And so what could that look like? You know, maybe you have a basket of um, clothes that is in their play space that's specifically for dress up, practice, or just play. Also in regards to dressing, a critical piece of furniture that I would love for you to provide for your youngest children is a full length mirror because they are still learning their full body schema. And it's not just about that. They're also developing their sense of identity, right? So they need to see their reflection. But that mirror 
also gives great feedback for how they are dressing and undressing as they watch what they're doing in that reflection. So remember that kids that are one and two years old, they are still learning how much size space their body takes up. They don't really realize that yet. Uh, that's why you have kids to like plow through other people because they, they don't actually, that, that that's a learned thing. And I remember it myself actually uh, when in my later stages of pregnancy, when sometimes I would not go through a space and because I'd get stuck and be like, oh, wait, right. I'm a totally different size than I used to be. Anyway, so if you put yourself in that mindset, that's what's happening to them. They don't know how much space they take up. They're learning it. So the mirror can be helpful in that way. And, and then speaking of clothing, uh, a laundry basket that they can reach and use. I mean, Megan talked about putting laundry away, but where do they put the dirty laundry in? Is there a place that they can reach for that? That's helpful. So when you're hanging the, the full-length mirror, you want to you know, start it at the floor so that they can see their feet and up and then as a safety hack I mentioned this in the bathroom episode but I'll mention it again here you can use duct tape on the back of a cheap full-length mirror from your local store and that will make it shatterproof so if they did pull it off the wall or it broke in some way then it wouldn't cause broken glass to go everywhere so thinking about that if as we move into activities and just decorating the room in general, when you walk into a space and you think, you know, who lives here? If you're walking into your child's room, is it obvious that it's your child's room? I mean, obviously it is if there's a crib or a floor bed. But think about when you're hanging the art or when you're putting things on the shelf. It should all be at your child's eye level. So not your adult eye level, you know? So again, it helps if you can sit down at your child's level and look around the room and see things from their perspective. And then, you know, if you have art or plants on a shelf or whatever decorations you put in, you want them to be low so that it's accessible to your child. Even those things can be accessible to your child. And again, as we spoke to in our family room episode, the activities that you have on the shelf, you don't need a lot of stuff. Whatever your child is playing with, maybe three or four things is enough and you can rotate those things out and you want them to be in a basket or on a tray or something that's easy for them to put away and have it on a low shelf where they can access the baskets and shelves easily. Right. And so, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about sleep because that's the the top use for a bedroom. Um, And so ask yourself, is it calm or is it full of stuff that's super stimulating? And then you can start there, right? You're down low, like Megan said, at the child's eye level. And you can be asking yourself, would I feel calm enough to sleep in this room? And what do I need to do to create those foundations of really great quality sleep hygiene. You can also think about what rules, so to speak, or guidelines you have to that suit your family values around. Are screens ever allowed in that room? Is food allowed in that room? You know, different things like that you might want to start keen into while they're young, and then you just establish that that's That's the case. That's how your family operates in those spaces. So speaking to toys and such regarding the child's toys, being, you know, being mindful about 
where are they organized and what is the system for keeping them in a space where the child can not only access them and use them and put them away. And as your children get older, and let's say they get into something like Legos or Playmobiles or dollhouses, where it's like the games, the imaginative games, they're not done in a few minutes. Those games can last for days. And so what systems do you, do you then use so that there's a space defined for those uh, games and that they don't just completely consume the entire room? And so... Sharing from that, we've talked about use of mats or work rugs or low tables. But, I mean, why not? You could even put, you know, uh, painter's tape on the floor to define a space so that the Legos are not all over the place so that as a parent, you know you can still walk in there without the painful, you know, experience of stepping on hard Legos. One hack I'll share from a teacher of ours that uh, she had a child who is obsessed with Legos still to this day. And so what she would do is have all of the Legos are on a sheet or like a large blanket. And then there's also a tub. So there's a place that he can put the built Legos that he's working on on the shelf. But then she can just pick up the whole thing in the sheet and put that inside the bin. And then that whole thing can come out and it's like all laid out and he knows to build on that and keep all the Legos there. And then anything that's built goes on the shelf. And then you just pick up the whole sheet in like a sack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, then you don't have to have the tedious work of picking up each individual Lego either. So I thought that was a really smart idea for those kids that always have a Lego project going out. If you want to clean it up real quick so you can vacuum or whatever. And then but yes, having a defined space is very helpful. Another yeah. thing that's really great for the bedroom is books, since so often you're reading to your child as part of your bedtime routine. And in this case, I would say you can also be thinking about you. If you're spending a lot of time in the bedroom reading to your child, then you could have a chair in there that's comfortable for you and your child to snuggle on. Or you can have a small child's chair with a basket of books on the floor, like we discussed in the family room episode. But... I know we spend a lot of time reading in my child's bedroom, so it's nice for the adult to have a comfortable place to sit, too, unless you're just going to both be laying in the bed, but if your child's in a crib or, you know, so you can think about that, too. The whole room doesn't have to be specifically for your child if one of the things that you do in the room is spend a lot of time reading together in there. So just another thing to consider. Mm-hmm. And, and then addressing siblings again, bunk beds can be great because they can help designate some personal space. And there could even be drawers or desks or closet spaces that are defined as this is one person's, this is another's. Maybe the shelving is color-coded or the work rugs are color-coded. If, if you feel like that's necessary to help, you know, bring down the amounts of time that there's conflict between the siblings around sharing a space. There are ways to make it work, and there are fabulous skills that get learned when young kids have to learn to share space. I know it can be so irritating in the moment when you're trying to get done 
15 other things plus cook dinner or whatnot. And then the kids are erupting into a, a conflict. But there's so many wonderful skills that happen when they have to share space. Even if you have extra rooms that they could spread out in, you might consider keeping them together for a while because of the benefits that are included there. Great. We hope that you gain some information that can help you set up your bedroom or your child's bedroom or your children's bedroom for independence and empowerment as they are able to do those activities by themselves. They can get their own clothes. They can get dressed by themselves. They can lay down and take a rest by themselves. They can play with their activities and put them away by themselves. So much empowerment there and also many life skills being gained. So let us know what works for you. And if you have other ideas that we didn't mention here, we would love to hear from you on social media. We are at Raising Reciprocity on both Instagram and Facebook, which is really the same thing. So <laughs> whichever one you prefer, we're on both. And you can also find us on our website, which is themontessorihouse.org. And we have our podcast area. So you can check out previous episodes. We've already done an episode on the family room and the bathroom. And that's it. And and, and hey, and, <laughs> oh, and thanks and the entryway. For, and entryway. And the entryway. Yeah, that's right. And thank you for your intentional parenting. You really are doing doing the work towards a better future. And that is where we believe there's potential and we we see this as a step towards the activism that's needed on these overlaying crises that we are in the midst of. So thanks very much. Hang in there. Yep. Know that you're doing enough. It's time for you to hit the subscribe button, and we want to thank you for listening. See you soon.